Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. So let's pray as we come around the Word this morning. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your Word that it is living and active. The Lord, when we read your Word, you have new stuff for us, new information, new revelation to give us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to us this morning. I pray every single person here would ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me this morning that I can apply to my life in order that you get the glory? Lord, speak to us this morning, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it kind of feels that 2024 is old news now. I mean, we've already been here for a week, haven't we? I mean, well, who cares about 2024 anymore? You know what that means, don't you? It means there's only 353 days until Christmas. Woo! We're excited. I'm saying 349 days to my birthday, which is even more important. Okay. So don't forget that. Okay. For us, there's a few things in our family. Gabby turns eight this year. She's in grade two. Maddie hits a bit of a milestone. This is Maddie's last year of primary school. And she turns 11 in 34 days, I think it is, 34 days. As she keeps reminding us every single day. Uh, Haley hits 14 in grade 8. She survived the first year of high school. And Charlie, at the back, she turns 16 this year, which means she's old enough to get her license. Please, Lord, help me. And Jane, well, she is 30 again. It doesn't look a day over 29. Well, if you didn't know, 2024 is officially the year of the camelid. Who knows what a camelid is? A camelid. Camelid. Yeah, camelid, okay. You know what that is? It's all camels, alpacas, and llamas. It is their year. So if you see a llama around, make sure you say, Happy New Year to them. It's their year. But this morning, I'm not here to talk about llamas this morning, much to Charlie's chagrin. I'm here to talk about giving and receiving. It is a well-worn sentiment that any new year is a book with 365 chapters, or this year, 366, because it's a leap year this year. It's this book with these chapters that are written to be written by you, you have this blank canvas. We've all heard that kind of sentiment before, haven't we? It might be a commonly used metaphor, but what is true is that 2024 is a gift. It's a gift that has been given to each of us. What we have before us is 12 months, 52 weeks or 51 weeks now of time that we can use that's been given to us. Now, how we receive that gift, well, that's up to us. It's up to you. How you receive this year is entirely up to you. Each of us has a choice about how we're going to receive the gift we're given. Sometimes it can be hard to know what to do with a gift. At Christmas time, you sometimes get gifts that you don't really want. And you're like, oh, that's nice, thank you so much. And then you put it down, and then you never touch it again. Or you re-gift it to someone else. Or sometimes you're happy about the gift. You knew what you were getting, and so you're excited about the gift. Excellent, that's exactly what I wanted. I'm not sure what 2024 is for you. How do you view 2024? What's the best way to receive it? What do we do with it? 
what do we give in return? Because it's giving and receiving. If we're given the gift of 24, what do we give in return? Well, if we have questions, if we're uncertain, if we're unsure, my motto for 2024 is, when in doubt, check Jesus out. That's my metaphor. That's it, 2024. When in doubt, check Jesus out. And so this morning, I'm going to look at three, no, four stories about Jesus receiving. I'm not talking about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've, we've passed that season. I'm talking about how Jesus received from people. I'm going to start looking at two events, mainly because I couldn't choose between them. I was going to pick one, but I thought, they're both so good, I want to choose both these stories. And the both stories are good because they both share the same gift. Jesus receives the same thing in both of these stories. And so I want to start with Matthew 8. Matthew 8, verse 5. And it's a story we should all know. And it says this in Matthew 8, verse 5. It says, When he had entered Capernaum, that's Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. And skipping down to verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. What a great story. What a great event for Jesus. The centurion comes with a servant who is unwell, and Jesus heals him. So, so I want you to keep in mind that story, centurion, Jesus, servant healed, okay? I'm going to look at the next story, and we're going to see some similarities, okay? So Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for he is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. These are both great events in the ministry of Jesus. Great stories. In the first one, we see a good man, a centurion, a Roman centurion. He's an important man. He has authority. He is the command of a hundred men under him. And he has every reason not to come to Jesus. As a soldier, he is a man of war. He fights for Rome. And Jesus is a man of peace. Maybe that's why he didn't want Jesus under his roof. Because he is a man of war and Jesus is a man of peace. He is not worthy to have someone like Jesus under his roof. The centurion was a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. And Jesus, of course, was Jewish. The centurion was a busy man. He is command of other men. He's busy. And the servant, well, surely his servant who is unwell is just one of many servants. So do we really need to worry about that servant at all? 
But still he came to Jesus. Why? Because he is a good man and he cares about his servant. He had faith in Jesus that if Jesus spoke healing, the disease had no choice but to obey and depart. You see, for the centurion, his faith was logical. He's thinking, I'm a soldier who takes orders from someone above me, and I give orders to those below me. So if I follow orders without question, without debate, I follow them and they get done, and if I give orders and everyone who I give an order to just does it without any debate or, or contest, then if Jesus, this guy called Jesus, he has authority too. And if he says, my servant will be healed, then there's no question. My servant will be healed because he gave the order, because Jesus gave the command. That is how the centurion's brain works. He understands orders. He understands obedience. And what is Jesus' reaction? He's amazed. Jesus marvels at this centurion's faith. He says he has found faith none like it in all of Israel. This event occurs just after Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, where Jesus gives instruction about how to live. He teaches them how to live. He teaches them what's important in life. And now, in Matthew 8, we see him demonstrating how we should live. First, he taught the, the information. This is what we should be doing. And then he shows us what we should be doing. He highlights... One thing about the centurion, and that is his faith. That is what we should be doing. Faith. Faith. The second event is also a favourite of mine. Hence why I couldn't choose between the two stories. And it's much more of a curious incident in the ministry of Jesus. Much, a much more misunderstood event, I think, in the ministry of Jesus. Because the most glaring issue in this story with Jesus and the Canaanite woman is that what we see in Jesus doesn't really line up with the Jesus that we kind of know or people kind of consider. I mean, we have a woman in need. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And she comes crying. She comes calling out after Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He ignores her completely. He doesn't say a word. He ignores her. But the commotion that she's making is such a ruckus that the disciples step in and go, Jesus, tell her to go away. She's causing issues. She's too loud. Tell her to go away. And then Jesus responds to the disciples, not to the woman. He still hasn't acknowledged her presence yet. He says to the disciples, I came only for the lordship of Israel. That's why I'm here. But the woman, she is not to be deterred. She persists, which is one of the major themes of this story. She comes and she kneels at the feet of Jesus. And only now does Jesus acknowledge her. Only now when she is in front of him, on her knees, does he respond. And what does he respond? It is wrong to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I don't know about you, that's not really the response I was expecting from Jesus. I was expecting, oh, Okay, I'll heal your daughter. That's fine. No, no. It's wrong to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What is going on? Who is this Jesus? Well, we need to understand some things first. Firstly, Jesus is doing two things in this story. 
Firstly, he's teaching people, his disciples, about where his priorities lie. His priority are the people of Israel. Jesus never, he never compromised on that. He came to save the people of Israel. That's his priority. Secondly, he is testing the woman's faith. He's testing her perseverance. But I know you're asking, what about the whole dog thing? He still calls the woman a dog. Now, I don't think I could get away with calling any woman in the church a dog. Do you agree? I would hopefully that wouldn't be the case. But I'm thinking, but if it's good enough for Jesus, surely, surely I can get away with it if Jesus... No, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. So what's going on? In the first century world, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people would often refer to Gentiles as dogs. And they would use a word that is kuon, K-U-O-N, kuon. That's the word they would use. They would say kuon to a Gentile. And kuon means wild dog, feral dog. In Australia, we would say the term mangy mutt. That's the word, kuon, wild and feral, dirty. But Jesus, when he speaks, he doesn't use the word kuon. When he says, it's not right to throw it to the dogs, he uses the word canarion, which is similar, but not the same. Canarion does not mean mangy mutt. Canarion means pet dog. It means puppy. Small dog, little dog, tame dog. Why does Jesus do this? Jesus does this to show the woman he understands who she is. When he says canarion, he's saying, I understand what other people have called you, but I won't do that. I want to call you something that you recognize, but is not the same. I'm acknowledging the insult that you've heard your entire life, a word that I will not use to describe you, because kuwan was a racial slur. It was an insult, and Jesus won't do that. This woman would have heard the word kuwan her entire life, hurled at her over and over again. And Jesus, in response, he acknowledges the insult that she's heard, and he uses the most gentlest form possible. So he communicates his understanding. And she understands. How do we know she understands? Because she replies, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. When she uses the word dogs, she does not use kuon other. She uses canarion. She uses the same word that Jesus used, which shows she understands what he is doing. She says, I understand you're not like other people. You're not like the other Jews. I get that. But I'm not giving up either. I know for a fact there is enough on the master's table for everybody. And so I'm not quitting. And it's only then, then Jesus exclaims, how great is your faith? Because she did not give up. She had every reason to give up. He ignored her. He dismissed her. And then he calls her a dog, gentlest form possible. And only when she persists does he acknowledge her and go, great is your faith, your daughter is healed. In both of these stories, Jesus is a recipient of something very valuable. This is my first point. Jesus received their faith. He received their faith. Not just any faith. The faith that Jesus attributes to the woman in this story is translated as 
megas. Faith that was megas. It was loud faith. Not just any faith, it was megas faith. Of course, megas is where we get, you know, where we get from that. Mega, great, amazing, incredible, loud. It was loud faith. It was faith that could not be silenced. Despite the pleas of the disciples and Jesus completely ignoring her, she would not be kept quiet. Have mercy on me, son of David, she called out. She openly declares that she knows who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the son of David. She will not be pushed aside. She will get healing for her daughter no matter the cost. She shows mega's faith, loud faith. Both her and the centurion demonstrated faith that amazed Jesus. Faith that amazed Jesus. Imagine being so faith-filled that you amaze Jesus, that he is marveled by your faith. Having such a faith that Jesus is taken aback, that he is stunned. Imagine being so faith-filled today that Jesus is amazed at you. Well, here's your chance, and it's called 2024. It's your chance to amaze Jesus with your faith. For you to exercise mega's faith, loud faith. We can receive 2024 with faith, with great faith. So what do we do with this gift? What do we do? How do we receive 2024? I hope you receive it with faith. I hope that you receive it with faith. And that means that you believe that God has more for you this year than he had for you last year. Believing that the best is actually yet to come. That there is more for you this year. Faith is believing that Jesus has more than just crumbs for you. That he is enough to supply your every need. Great faith means declaring Jesus is the Son of God. That's what it means to have loud faith. To say, I believe in the Son of God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is all authority. So I'm going to have faith in Jesus. That's what it means to have loud faith. Will we do that, church, and amaze Jesus? That's my question. Hebrews 11.6 says this. We know this. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So let's have faith this year. Let's receive 2024 like Jesus did, receiving faith in great faith, mega's faith, loud faith, bold faith. Let us be people who believe in Jesus. The next story I want to look at is a bit different to the last couple of stories. Let us turn to Matthew 14, verse 22. It says this, Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. 
He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This event occurs straight after the feeding of the 5,000. So everyone is eating. And when everyone eats, everyone is happy. Yes, we know that. When we eat, we are happy. People are thinking this is an amazing miracle. The miracle is done. They are full. Everyone's packing up the picnic on the hillside. And Jesus says to his disciples, it's okay, I've got this. Hop in the boat and I'll catch up with you later on. And so the disciples are like, okay. And so Jesus goes back to cleaning up and dismissing the crowds. And then night falls. And the disciples are in the boat. The wind is not on their side. They're out in the middle of the lake. And somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it's fourth watch of the night, so it's late or early, depending on what time you go to bed. Jesus comes strolling on the lake, just, just walking on the water, as you do, casually. And they see him. And their first reaction is terror, fear. They're afraid. It's a ghost. But Jesus says, don't worry, it is me. But then Peter, Peter's not convinced. It could be someone else who can walk on water who sounds like Jesus. I mean, really, it could be anybody. Peter's like, ah, it might not be Jesus. It could be someone else. Okay? And so he says to Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, okay, out you come. And then Peter starts to walk on the water. But when Peter sees the wind, he is afraid and begins to sink. So Jesus reaches out and takes his hand. And he says famously, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's a great event. And there's lots to unpack here. I'm not going to unpack all of it. There are a couple of things I want to highlight. And the first is this. Firstly, all the disciples were afraid. They were all afraid. They were all in a state of fear. And secondly, it was Peter who lacked faith. Peter lacked faith. Just like Jesus had received the faith of the centurion and of the Canaanite woman, here with the disciples, Jesus receives their fear. He receives their fear. Jesus received their fear just like he received the faith. They were afraid and Peter lacked faith. They're the two things. So they're all afraid. There's something happening they can't explain. And their first response is fear. Okay, I get that. Understandable. But even after Jesus tries to soothe those fear, they're still afraid. And it's only Peter. It's only Peter who has the courage to do something about it. So he shows some faith before he loses his faith. So there's some faith and then there's little faith. What's interesting here to me in this story, I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but they're Peter's words. Peter says, command me to come out on the water to you. That's his words, command me. Peter's faith was activated by Jesus telling him to step out. Not him doing it by himself. He didn't take the leap of faith. He commanded Jesus, Jesus, command me to come out of the water. Peter trusted in the authority of Jesus. Just like the centurion had done. Remember the centurion brain. 
I give orders and people do them. Jesus has authority. He gives orders. Diseases must go. Healing must come. That's Peter's thinking as well. If Jesus says that I can do it, if he commands me to come out, then therefore it must be possible. He didn't take the initiative himself. He waited for Jesus to give him the command. So Peter thinks it must be possible because Jesus says that I can do it. That's all Peter needs to step out of the boat. That's all he needs. Jesus said, I can, therefore I can. But then, but then it says Peter saw the wind, which is a funny expression because we can't see wind, can we? You can't see wind. You see the effects of wind. You can't actually see wind. See, Peter didn't see the wind. Peter saw the effects of the wind. He saw the waves on the lake getting bigger. He saw the boat rising and falling much harsher. He felt the clothes on his body being whipped by the wind and pressed against him. And all these things going on, he fears and he begins to sink. You know those cartoons, uh, Wally Cody and Roadrunner cartoons? Who remembers those growing up? Who remembers those growing up and Cody is chasing Roadrunner and Roadrunner runs off a cliff and makes it to the other side. He runs across the empty space between two cliffs and Cody runs across the cliff and he looks down and he realises there's no land beneath him. And the moment he realises there's no land, what happens? He falls. When I read this story, that's the image I get in my brain. I can't help it. He's walking on water and then he sees, and he's like, oh. And then in my head, he just sinks. He's like, Phoop, in the water. That's what I hear. That's what I see in my mind. I can't get rid of it. But that's not what happens. That's not how it happens. It says he began to sink. It was a gradual process. He begins to sink, not to straighten the water. Jesus, up until that point, hadn't reached out to Peter at all. He hadn't offered a helping hand. Even when Peter starts to sink, Jesus doesn't rush to rescue him. Why? Why? Because Jesus knew Peter could still walk on water. Just because he was beginning to sink doesn't mean he couldn't do it anymore. If Peter had taken a moment to remember who it was who commanded him to walk on the water, if he had remembered for a moment, that he was just walking on water, literally. Then he could have taken more steps and gotten back up to the surface of the water. Because he was only gradually sinking. If he stopped remembering where his faith was, who his faith was in, he could have kept walking to Jesus. But he stumbled. And only when he cried out did Jesus rescue him. Only when he cried out, Jesus responded. Jesus reached out his hand when Peter cries out. Sometimes we can't see what's going on. We can't see the wind. But we can feel the effects of things that are going on. We can see what's happening in our life, in the lives of those people that we love. We see relationships break down. We see a job that doesn't come through. We see mortgage pressure, relationship pressure, we see anxiety, we feel pressure, we feel stress. We can't see what the cause is, but we can feel those things, yes? We can feel them. We feel them and we stumble, like Peter did. 
we get afraid and we lose our focus on the object of our faith. We lose focus on the one who has called us. And instead we put our focus on our surroundings. You see, 2024 may bring you uncertainty and fear. I can't promise you that 2024 is going to be a wonderful year with all rainbows and sunshine. I would love to, but that's not how the world works. We live in a broken world. We may most certainly find fear and uncertainty this year. We receive 2024 with great faith, remember, with Megas' faith. We receive it. And instead, as the year unfolds, as things happen, we become uncertain about our future. We become fearful. We feel the pressure. We feel the stress. Then how we receive 2024 is a choice we must make. We have to make a choice in that moment. Will we cower in the boat like the other 11 disciples? Because we forget about them, don't we, in the story? They were still in the boat. They were still afraid. They didn't try and get out of the boat. They're cowering in the boat because they're afraid. We can choose that. We can choose to cower in the boat. Or will we speak to Jesus and say, Lord, command me to come out of the boat like Peter did. Ask Jesus to call us. Use our faith in the one who has all authority. When we say, Jesus, call me to where you want me to be. That's a choice we have as well. And if we take that choice, then we have the choice. If we stumble, will we sink like Peter? Or will we continue to take steps forward and get back on top and make our way to where Jesus is calling us from? That's the choices we have. Will you keep walking to Jesus? Jesus has his hand outstretched. Will you take it? Because here's the thing. Either way, Peter was going to take the hand of Jesus. Either he makes it to where Jesus is, or he cries out to be saved and Jesus has to reach out to him. Either way, Peter's going to make it to Jesus because Jesus won't let us fall. He won't let us fall. Which will it be for you? If you stumble, that's okay. Because we all stumble. I stumble, you stumble, everyone stumbles. Jesus will still reach out his hand if you stumble. If you cry out to him, he'll reach out his hand every single time. He will never, ever let you fall if you cry out to him. But how good would it be? How good would it be to make it to where Jesus is calling you from? To even though you stumble, even though you trip, you pick yourself back up, you continue to walk on the water and you make it to Jesus. How good would that be? In 2024, what's your choice going to be? The last story I have for you is one that we all know very, very well. And this morning we're going to look at a very, very small part of that story. Matthew 27, verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. He compelled this man to carry his cross, that is the cross of Jesus. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. We know the story. We know what's going on. The crucifixion of Jesus. But I want you, what I want you to see is something that's often overlooked in the story. Jesus offered wine mixed with gall. In Luke it says, wine mixed with myrrh. That's because myrrh was, gall was made with myrrh. That's why. The same thing. This was normal custom for the Romans. Before they crucified someone, they would offer them wine mixed with gall. 
because the mixture is a painkiller. It numbs your senses. It dulls your feelings. It's to help with the process of enduring crucifixion. Also, gall can be poisonous, and so it would shorten the time. Crucifixion was still painful, but it wouldn't linger on and on and on because the Romans were efficient, if nothing else. So Jesus offered this mixture, this poisonous mixture, gall. And what does Jesus do? He refuses. My third point this morning is that Jesus refused to receive. He refused to receive. Why? Why would Jesus refuse no pain relief? Why would he choose no pain relief ahead of the most excruciating form of execution the world knew? He had the option. He had the choice of two paths, but Jesus chose the harder path. You see, Jesus didn't want to die from poisoning, nor did he want his senses to be numbed on the cross. Because Jesus went to the cross willingly. It was his choice. He obeyed and he went to the cross willingly. He went to the cross to shed his blood to atone for our sin. To be the sacrifice for all of mankind. And Jesus refused to be anything other than the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect lamb of God. There was no taking the easy way out for Jesus. He was in it until the end. He chose the harder way so that we had a way back to God. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that calling is greater than comfort. Calling is greater than comfort. That is the challenge for us in 2024. We receive this year with faith. We receive it without fear, trusting in Jesus. We receive the challenge that calling is greater than comfort. Sometimes it's just easier to choose the path of least resistance, isn't it? It's just easier to choose the wide road. But God calls us to choose the narrow path. Why? Because that is how we grow. It's the only way as humans that we learn. For some reason, we have to learn the hard way because we're stubborn. Well, I'm stubborn anyway. I don't know about the rest of you. That is how we grow. We grow by choosing the hard path. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate that is wide and the way that is easy it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is our challenge. Firstly, to treat others as we want to be treated. We've all known that. It's called the golden rule. We've heard it a thousand times. But here's the question. Do you do it all of the time? Do you really treat other people as you want to be treated all of the time? If we receive the gift of 2024, we also receive the challenge to live as God commands us. We receive the challenge to choose the narrow path, to choose calling over comfort. 
But it's so easy sometimes. It's so easy to choose the path of least resistance. Sometimes it's easier to compromise, to compromise our faith, to just fall in with everyone else is doing because there's just less questions that way. Maybe we'll compromise our faith because it keeps the peace. That's just easier. I mean, does it really matter? I mean, the sin that I do is just so small. It's not really hurting anybody else. Surely it doesn't matter. Surely it's okay. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin before we make the choice. As I said before, it's okay if we stumble because we all stumble. Because Jesus will reach out his hand if we ask him to. But maybe we can pick ourselves back up as well. Because the one who called us hasn't changed. He continues to call us. Just as he called Peter over the water. He calls every single person here. And we can make it to him. We can. Why? Because Jesus called us. He's the one who has authority. And if he calls us, he will resource us. If he calls us, we can make it to him. We can make it to where he's calling us from. We receive faith. We receive without fear. We commit to his calling. When we receive like Jesus, we give to God. Remember I said this about giving and receiving. When we receive like Jesus received, we're giving back to God. When we keep him as the focus of our faith, when we receive what he has blessed us with, we give back to him. Why? Because, one, we give him our faith. When we receive 2024 with faith, we give him our faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we receive with faith all that he has given to us, we give our faith back to him. Secondly, we give him our trust. When we choose to overcome our fear, overcome our uncertainty, when we choose to pick ourselves back up, we give him our trust. We say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust in you that you have better things for me this year. And lastly, we give him our commitment. We give him our commitment. When we choose calling over comfort, when we say, I'm going to make it to you, Jesus, no matter what, I'm going to commit my life to you, we give him our commitment. We give him of ourselves. We pour out ourselves to him. 2024 Church is our opportunity to amaze Jesus, to give him our faith, to give him our trust, to give him our commitment in everything. Yes? I'm going to ask the band to come this morning and ask you to stand this morning. If you would stand this morning, we're going to do commit 2024 to Jesus. I'm not going to make you do anything. It's entirely your choice. I'm going to lead us, and if you wish to do so, it's entirely up to you. But I think we need to go into this year, the 51 weeks that are left, and say to Jesus, I believe in you, I trust you, I commit to you. And we'll see the good things that he has for us. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I first want to pray for 
those who are watching, those who could be here, who have never given their life to you. Lord, I pray for those people this morning that would have seen Jesus, that would have seen his love, his compassion, they would have seen his promise, that he marvels at faith. And giving our lives to Jesus is simply that, it is a step of faith. It is saying, I am going to believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you are who you say you are. And Lord, this morning with everyone's eyes closed, everyone's heads bowed, all you need to do is pray a simple prayer, if that's you this morning. All you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to die for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for living my own way. I commit my life to you now. Be Lord of my life. I promise to follow you all of my days. It's as simple as that. If that's you this morning here, if that's you watching at home, I encourage you to reach out to us. Reach out. Tell someone here before you leave, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. I want to journey with him. Oh Lord, for them and for the rest of us, Lord, we stand before you this morning on the first Sunday of 2024, a new year. And Lord, we know, we see this year as a gift, as something you have given us. Lord, I pray. I pray that every single person here would commit. They would say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I have faith in you. I believe that you have more for me this year than you had for me last year. I believe that the best is yet to come. I have faith in you. Lord, we were people that we would say, we would exclaim, I will overcome my fear and uncertainty. Jesus, I will trust in you this year. If I stumble, that's okay. If I stumble and I can't pick up, I will reach out and I will call out and you'll be there for me, Jesus. I believe. But if I stumble, help me to get back up and make it to where you are. Because you have called me. You have called me. Help me to make it to where you are, Jesus. Help me to trust in you. And lastly, we believe this morning, we'll be people. We'll be people who commit their life, their time, their energy, their efforts. We commit them to you, Jesus. We commit 2024 to you. We declare that calling is greater than comfort. Help us to not take the path of least resistance. Help us to not compromise our faith. Help us to declare with loud faith, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Son of God. I will not compromise my faith for anything. I will not compromise my faith to keep the peace. I will declare that you are my Lord, no matter who is in front of me. And I will commit my life to you. I will live the way Jesus lived. Help me to do unto others as, they have, as I would want them to do unto me. Lord, we commit as a church this morning, as a body of children, as a body of believers, your, as brothers and sisters, we declare we have faith. We will trust in you and we commit to you this year. Lord, thank you. We thank you for your son who died on the cross for us who refused to take the easy path, who took the harder path, who chose the harder way so that we would have a way 
to make it back to you. We thank you, Jesus. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our year to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.